Hello guys and welcome to the LGBTQ STEMcast. In today's episode, we will be chatting with Corey Black, a PhD student in Alabama studying catfishes. Join us as we discuss some weird species of fish and other fun things. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to support us on Patreon and Ko-Fi. It's all in the episode description. Thank you. Hi Corey, how was your day? Oh, it was it was good. I actually started the day getting a COVID vaccine. Really? You got your vaccine today? <laughs> I'm pretty excited. Um, it's the first round of the COVID vaccine. There was a huge line. I had to wait like 30 minutes to get in. But And how are you feeling? Uh, I feel fine. Uh, my arm kind of hurt like a little bit, but now it feels fine. That's good. I'm glad you got your vaccine. I've been excited to get mine. I don't know when we're going to get it over here in Puerto Rico, but I'm just so ready because, you know, this whole pandemic has been like like stressful, stressful time for everybody. So how did quarantine treat you? How did you manage to stay quarantined all this time? What were you doing, you know, to keep your mind busy? Uh, work. <laughs> So pretty boring, but I mean, I'm kind of a homebody anyways. So I also live, um, I live in Auburn, Alabama, so it's kind of warm. So we were able to have like little outdoor, like six feet away from our lab mates and everything, just kind of to chat. That's about all we've been doing. <laughs> well, yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, to be honest, like, the pandemic didn't really change my lifestyle that much in regards to going out and everything because I don't really usually go out. But it was like kind of hard not seeing my friends and all that. But that's great that you've been, you know, being able to stay, you know, afloat. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I am a fourth year PhD candidate <laughs> at Auburn, Alabama, or Auburn University in Alabama. Um, I work in Dr. Armbruster's lab, where we actually study um, the evolution of shape in armored catfishes. Um, can you tell us a little bit what the, those are, just for people like me that are uncultured and not don't know what those are? Yeah, so armored catfishes, um, they're really cool. They're found across uh, South America, kind of up into uh, Costa Rica um in Panama and they are bottom dwellers like a lot of catfishes are but their entire body is covered in these bony plates and they also have this ventrally facing mouth so the mouth is like where the stomach kind of is um like if you <laughs> look at the fish uh on the stomach view you'd see the mouth like in full <laughs> uh, from that view. So the mouth faces down and it has the sucker disc around the mouth that it actually uses to adhere itself to like rocks and stuff. And then it kind of, it moves its jaws in this really weird way. Um, they kind of move like a screwdriver, like in a socket. <laughs> so instead of just like going up and down, they actually um, curve in a way. They kind of do this screwdriver motion where they like scrape at algae and detritus off of the surface that they're feeding from. That's uh, that sounds so weird. Like I, I'm usually more of a like birds kind of guy. So I like I, you know when I hear hear about so many different like weird fish, I'm like wait what? That's possible. So 
it's crazy to learn so so much like about different animals to be honest so what got you studying that in particular you know what drove you to that species in particular so i really like fish <laughs> fishes are kind of my thing i've always liked fishes and when i came here to auburn university i just set up a meeting with my new advisor and was like, hey, I need a group of fishes that has a lot of species that are super diverse in shape. So have a ton of different shapes, look all different, so I can try to figure out why they look different from one another. And I basically said, hey, what's a group of fishes that I could work on that you know? And he was like, how about armored catfishes? Um, so armored catfishes were kind of his thing when he was getting his PhD. So he has a love for them as well. So I think he was really excited that I was opening, that I was open to working on a different type of group of fishes. Um, before I started working on armored catfishes, I actually worked on flatfishes, which are super weird. Um, they actually have two eyes on one side of their head. <laughs> so two eyes on the same side, basically. Yes. Uh, so flatfishes are crazy because they hatch out looking like a normal fish with two eyes on either side of their head. And then they go through this crazy puberty where one of their eyes starts to migrate over the top of their skull. <laughs> and it continues to migrate until it basically rests next to the other eye on the other side of its head. That's crazy. <laughs> they are super weird, super cool. I don't know how people, the fish people do that. Like, how do they, you know, how, it's crazy to me. Like, fishes are so weird. I, I, I don't get it. It's like a whole different, like, feel. Every time I talk to somebody that, like, studies fishes, I'm always completely blown away because there's so many different things. So what did you do for your undergrad degree? What was your undergrad in? Oh, my undergrad... It was biology with a focus on ecology and evolution. Um, I actually didn't do research in my undergrad. I worked in a, like a frog lab for a semester where I cleaned out little aquatic frog tanks, which are gross. <laughs> that sounds funny because I'm actually taking my, her my herpetology class this semester. I mean, our professor like basically just studies frogs. So me and my best friend, were, we got into that class because we wanted to learn about snakes and like reptiles more. And as soon as we walked into the course, it was yesterday, the late night course that I talked to you about prior to <laughs> that's what the class I have. And immediately the first thing he starts talking about is frogs. And I'm like, wow. And I think there's an episode that I'm like, I don't know how people study frogs. I could never look at me now. You know, who would have thought that I would be studying frogs? Well, yeah, it's crazy. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey since you didn't really do research as an undergrad? Yeah, um, I actually, I've always kind of known that I wanted to work with fish in some way. Um, when I was in high school, I wanted to study sharks. <laughs> I always loved sharks, so I wanted to study them. And as I got a bit older, I started looking into different fields that you could go into. When you're in high school, everybody's like, you want to study sharks, so you want to become a marine, a marine biologist. So you start looking into it, and you're like, a lot of marine biologists, they focus on corals and invertebrates, and that's, that's cool. That's cool in its own right, but I kind of like something with a backbone. 
So I started looking into other fields that I could go into and I found ichthyology, which is the study of fishes. So I really looked at that. Um, I ended up staying in my hometown for my first two years of college and I went to a community college to begin with. And then I transferred to a four-year institution in my home state. Um, and when I did that, I don't think I was very prepared <laughs> for what a four-year institution was like. It ended up taking me an extra year to wrap up things. Um, I didn't realize how much attention was really needed to focus on classes. Um, I worked a lot. I actually worked at the Home Depot like 30 hours a week. I worked a lot in my undergrad and it took up a lot of my time and I was a very just average student. Um, it was probably the end of my undergrad when I was like, oh man, I really need to continue this. <laughs> if I want to like actually get to where I want to be, I probably need to figure out how to get a master's degree. I don't know how to do that. Nobody in my family ever had like a master's degree before. So I ended up talking to the ichthyologist at my undergrad institution and was like, hey, I really want to study fish, but I don't know how. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he was really helpful with figuring out how to, to get into a master's program. And he helped me get into his master's program at the same place that I got my undergrad. Um, and he had this big idea to look at the evolution of flatfish body shape. And his whole thought was, you know, we can go to these different collections where there's a ton of different fishes that had been put in jars for years and years and years. So there's a lot of different species. Um, flatfishes have around 800 species within the group. Um, it's an order of fishes, so it's pretty big. And he set me up with somebody at the Smithsonian. Uh, so Tom Monroe, Dr. Tom Monroe. Um, and I was able to go there and take a bunch of x-rays of all these fishes. So I took all these x-rays of all these fishes and I put, uh, I used methods in order to look at like the shape of them to figure out um, how the shape of these different fishes were evolving. See, you know, if one shape correlated with one type of um, ecology. So like some of them really prefer being on rocks. Some of them really like coral reefs. So I was basically trying to figure out if there was a type of body shape that that may have evolved for the different types of um, ecological preferences. And I have no idea where I was going with that at this point. <laughs> so it was kind of like a little bit of a struggle and I think you mentioned that you were the first generation student, yes. right? That actually stepped you back because it's like it's expected. You really didn't have much of a guidance from like your family because none of them have been through the process. I can completely relate to that because I'm a first generation student myself. Do you think you had any other like maybe struggles that, that you faced that maybe like also helped step you back a little bit? So not only am I first generation college student, I also have a learning disability. Um, I have what's called dysgraphia, which affects the way that I read things, the way that I write. 
Um, there's also like a underlying psychological issue with it as well, <laughs> where anything that you write, you are really nervous for people to read, which is not very helpful in the field of science because a lot of it is writing and reading. Uh, so a lot of trying to, to figure out how to deal with those types of issues, not really overcome because you can't really overcome a learning disability, but learning the different tools that you can use in order to, to work with it. Of which, luckily now we have like built-in spell check, which really helps. Um, there's also like built-in grammar checks, which is super helpful. You can dictate words if you're using like Microsoft Word. Uh, you can have both Microsoft Word and like Adobe read PDF documents back to you, which is super nice and really helpful for my brain to be able to comprehend what is on the paper. So that was something that took quite a bit to work through to figure out what actually helps me uh, comprehend these different like difficult topics to begin with. Yeah, I can imagine how that might be a little bit of a struggle. I like during like elementary slash middle school, I was diagnosed with ADHD. It was later like, you know, I've been through a lot of diagnosis in between like, you know, learning disabilities and other mental health issues. But like that, even just when people actually tell you it's a little bit also, you feel, I don't know if it makes sense a little bit less at first because you're like, okay, I'm gonna fall behind. That was always my thought when I was, you know, first diagnosed with like a learning disability because I you know ADHD. And I always was like, okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be below everybody else, you know. I didn't like how they put me in separate classrooms and sometimes for like during those high school phases that they put you in like separate classrooms for some specific classes. I didn't like that. But it took a lot of time, as you mentioned, to like be able to figure out what works for me and what doesn't because I think it was like during the second semester of my freshman year of high school, I told the, the, the teacher in my separate classroom, I was like, I don't want to, you know, take my test separate to with like from everybody else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I can do good as everybody else can because I had honed and I found what works for me and what doesn't. How do you think it, like, how do you think you were able to figure out what works and what doesn't work in regards to your learning? Um, I think a lot of it was trial and error when I first went to college, so even in community college to, to a four year to where I'm at now, it took me a really long time to actually like come to terms with I have this learning disability. Um, <clears throat> I never really asked for help in college. So my, my experience is a little bit different when I was in like grade school my parents had me in these special classes where we wouldn't read the same books. We'd read like easier books and we'd have a lot more help with writing and everything. And then they actually pulled me out of that school to send me to like a small Christian school, which the kids were really mean to me and picked on me a lot. <laughs> so my parents were like, well, that was an interesting experiment. Let's pull her back out of there and put her back into the other school. And because I had been gone for a year, I fell out of those special classes <laughs> and I was put into the normal class group. So I was reading the exact same stuff as them. 
So I didn't really know that I had this learning disability throughout middle school and high school. So when I got to college, I just thought that I wasn't very smart, <laughs> that I didn't really realize, like I didn't know what was going on. I just wasn't gonna do as well as everybody else because I was a BC student. A's were unattainable is what was in my head the entire time. Until I asked my mom about what types of classes I was in, um, in grade school. And she sent me the paperwork that they had actually given her about my learning disability. And I went through and I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a name to what I have. And now I can actually figure out what has been going on. Um, I have dysgraphia, how do I work around this? And I ended up using a lot of Google searches to figure out what helped other people, um, trying them for myself. And I think, I think it helped. I mean, it took years to figure out what was going on. Yeah, it's a whole process of trial and error, as you mentioned. It always takes like a long time, you know. Even I think even the different stages, because what I what worked in high school for me was not at all what worked in college. Like, I did horrible my first semester of college. Like, I think I I dropped general chemistry one, and then I like barely passed bio one. But then I hone again. It took a lot of practice that second semester. I think I ended up getting an A in general chemistry after I retook it. But, you know, blood, sweat, and tears went into that A. Let me tell you, it was like a struggle. And it was like a borderline A because the curve in my school, the chemistry A, it's like starts in 85. I had an 84 at the end of the semester. So I was just hoping that my, you know, my professor would work around and, you know, give me the A he did. So he's amazing. Shout out to him. Um, but yeah, it took a lot of trial and error because I remember I went in and I was just, you know, I just got to go to the lectures and read the notes I take. No, I had to memorize books. You know, I had to read the textbooks in college and I was not prepared at all for that because the level of independence that you need, like you need to be really, really like prepared to be reading those textbooks, really doing the practice problems on your own outside of class. Like it's basically like another job per se, because you have to like have special times here like, okay, i'm gonna do the problem sheet at this time and then i'm gonna do that at the other time i didn't know that because none of my family went to college you know i was a, like a first generation so it was like okay what is this and why is it so hard so it kind of took me a, a lot of time to like get adjusted i mean i'm good now well i think i'm good we'll see about that, that this semester um but it did take some trial and error so um can you talk a little bit about your um your maybe your not struggles per se, but your experiences as an LGBTQ person like STEM? Yeah, um, I've always been really quiet about it. I don't know, I don't really know why. I think it was a lot of like backhanded comments from friends from like where I went to high school. We had one person who only came out like after he graduated um, from high school and a lot of friends made comments about how, well, you can't be bisexual. That's just you trying to look for attention. So I always kind of kept it quiet. Just, I mean, why mention it if somebody's going to tell me that I'm lying because I'm looking for attention? Um, so I kind of just stayed, <laughs> I stayed silent until really I started my PhD here at Auburn University. Um, I saw that people were trying to do better. They 
they have a training session to help LGBTQ plus people feel more comfortable, uh, give them like a safe space if you ever need that. And I realized I don't have to be quiet about this. Like, I don't care if somebody thinks that I'm just looking for attention. <laughs> so I started being a little more vocal and talking to, to mainly my lab mates, my friends. Um, eventually I went to my advisor and I didn't like outright say, hey, I'm bisexual. Uh, <laughs> let's sit down and talk about this. Um, I did go to him and I was like, hey, our museum doesn't like show that we are cool with LGBTQ community. I feel like we need to do something to make people feel more comfortable if they come into our little research museum. So I put together, we have this cute little logo of a fish that's for the museum. And I took this little fish picture and I just literally like used a mask or something in Photoshop and put um, the rainbow flag on it. I was like, hey, <laughs> would it be cool if we could have these printed? Like it might really suggest that our research museum is a, a good place for the LGBTQ community so people don't feel uncomfortable coming and hanging out with a bunch of dudes that study fish and frogs and turtles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he was great about it. He actually had oh, maybe like 500 of these stickers printed. <laughs> like it's insane. There are so many and now I see them like on people's doors, like random people that I didn't even know had a connection to the museum. Um, they're just everywhere and it's been really awesome, especially being here in Alabama, which might not be viewed as the most uh, open-minded type of place. <laughs> yeah, it's, when you mentioned it, I was like, Alabama, wow, that must be tough. As soon as you mentioned I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, as soon as you mentioned it, that was my first thought. Yeah, Alabama. We're kind of in a little pocket. Um, it's not as like liberal or leftist as you would think a, like a college town would be, but people are pretty open, especially like on campus, very open-minded, accepting of other people. Um, it's once you leave this little area. So like a lot of us have to do field work outside of our little community and that's where things get a little bit more like all right let's just hide this <laughs> just try to make sure that people don't think like i'm i'm different than them like i'm just some average cis het white girl and i'm just here trying to catch some fishes like please don't shoot me um but i luckily have the privilege of being able to hide behind that Whereas other people don't, which is really unfortunate. And sometimes it can get dangerous in different places in Alabama if you want to do field work. Yeah, I think um, I've interviewed a lot of ecologists for this podcast, surprisingly. Let's just say I'm an ecologist too for now and training, an ecologist in training, let's just say that. Um, I think it was my first episode here. We talked a little bit about how field work sometimes makes, you know, ecologists feel kind of like scared in a way. 
because they're like, okay, what are they gonna, you know, think if I like just say bring my partner to help me out on something here, or what am I, what will they say when I come here dressed like this or wearing this or having this on my backpack, that kind of fear. And something that's gonna be happening, but it's obviously a really big issue. And I've noticed that a lot of departments, they don't have a specific guide for that, if that makes sense. I've seen recently in Twitter, a lot of departments have you know, started adding like LGBTQ safety to their like field guides and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's great. We're doing great steps. Obviously it's like slow progress, I guess, because you know, not like Rome wasn't building one day as people always say, but I think we're doing okay in that sense about changing that kind of thing. But okay, so how did you feel, you know, when you were coming to terms, like basically at a later stage than anybody else that I know personally, you know, it kind of maybe seems a little bit different than all the stories you've seen. So did that make you feel like also kind of negatively affected, you know, the whole process in any way? Um, I do kind of feel like waiting so long to, to say anything, almost like I was hiding for however many years. Like I could have probably said something and it would have been fine and people would have been accepting. But for some reason, I just kind of locked it up for quite a while until I felt safe, I guess. Um, I don't know if, I'm not one to like regret stuff that much. So I don't know if I would have missed out on certain opportunities. Um, so I'm not sure if there's anything that, I mean, obviously I can't go back and redo it. <laughs> so if there's anything negative about it, waiting until this long, I guess I just don't know. Yeah, and I also think that obviously, like, I think everything is a learning opportunity of some sort. Like, even if you might not see it like that at some point, personally, you're gonna be able to tell that to somebody else and they might feel differently and you might be able to positively affect them by, you know, with anything in life, I think. So I think I just wanna, you know, you know commend you on that because even just coming out in general is like, you know, a big step in anything. So I wanna congratulate you on that. Did you ever Thank consider you. any other like STEM fields besides just like studying fishes? I actually never considered other STEM fields until now. <laughs> so I think that I'm in that year of your PhD where you're like, oh gosh, do I really wanna do academia? Like I'm getting nervous. Are there gonna be jobs? Am I going to be able to study fishes? Like what is it I could do different? Um, so I was pretty dead set on, I'm gonna study fishes and you're gonna deal with it. <laughs> and I really hadn't thought about like, what else could I do? I did work for a little bit in between my, my master's and my PhD some slightly older and yeah, whatever, but I worked for a pharmaceutical company. Um, I guess it was a pharmaceutical research organization. So what they did was they took research drugs that were being tested and we figured out what hospitals they're going to be tested at, uh, get all the data from the patients that were taking it to make sure it was okay. And like we had crunched the numbers to see whether or not this drug could be FDA approved. Um, that was like for a year. <laughs> I then I taught for a year as a biology instructor at a community college, which I really liked, and then got laid off um, due to money issues, of course. And then I worked a little bit as 
a lab manager, getting like classes ready for people, um, certain research uh, ready for people as well. My cat just jumped into our tortoise tank. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing in there. I think she's drinking the water. It's fine. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> got a little distracted by her. I completely understand. I think I mentioned it to you. I really wish I, you know, I was able to have a cat because cats seem like so like fun and like different, I guess. Because I think I mentioned that I only had hamsters and they, those never end well. So, traumatic <laughs> yeah. story not for today. But um, yeah, I think I lost track a little bit too. So if you rewind a little bit, if you liked. So you were working as a lab instructor, uh, as a lab. Yeah, what, is, what was the term that you uh, A lab manager. So what I did basically was there are several different classes and it was a very teaching based university and I would get together uh, stuff for like labs. So maybe they're going to run a gel. So they had to have all of the uh, equipment in order to actually like scrub the cells off of their cheek and then lice the cells and then eventually to the point of running the gel having to make sure they have all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of streaking plates to make sure we kept different bacterial colonies alive. Uh, kind of a lot of different stuff that I did there. And I was okay with it, but it wasn't a job that I could move up. It was just kind of, this is what you do. Like you're not gonna be doing anything else just putting together materials for these classes. Like there's no opportunity to teach on your own, probably not to do any research of your own. So I really started looking at PhD programs um, towards the end of my time there. And I found John Arm Brewster, and now I'm in <laughs> Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> I'm getting my PhD. So I think this is a very good question to, you know, dive us in a little bit to the next one that I know every single student that I ask hates this question. But what are your plans after your PhD? Do you plan on staying on like academia or what's like the plan? I have been very back and forth on this one. Like literally in the last month. Uh, I think a bit of it is imposter syndrome playing into whether or not I can get a job in academia. I think ultimately I would like to have a job in academia, probably at like maybe a master's only institution or something that's not so research based. Um, I like the idea of not having my job dependent on whether or not I get some big grant. <laughs> um, I've also I have flirted with the idea of leaving academia as well. <laughs> so there are some really cool opportunities uh, using like 3D data uh, in making like teaching materials. So it's kind of like a cross between what I have been doing, which is using uh, CT scans in order to look at the shape of different skeletal elements in these armored catfishes and also incorporating um, a passion for teaching. So being able to kind of take those two things and put them together. And that would be really cool, but I also don't know if I want to give up on the dream of academia. So that's a very wishy-washy answer. <laughs> oh, it's 
sounds like it's almost the same struggle as every other PhD student I've talked to. They, every, I think it's a common thing, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a PhD student, so I wouldn't know. You know, I'm in my undergrad. What would I know? You know what I mean? But like every there. single student that I... <laughs> See about that. My imposter syndrome hits me too. <laughs> but, I think we all have this imposter syndrome. Single stage. High school, I was like, okay, am I gonna go to college? Now I'm in college. I'm like, you know, what would I do? You know, am I gonna go to grad school? And now what's the plan? What can I do? Like, you know, and then I think it's gonna happen the same thing again. And I think it never stops because I've seen PIs like, am I gonna get this grant? You know, is this gonna work? Is this not? So I think it's just thing that you know stays with you I guess and something that a whole different story about how you deal with that in particular but yeah I can completely see what you mean and I think it's also good that you have different you know different ideas of what you would like to do that's smart I commend you for that <laughs> so did you you know I know that you love fishes I can tell that but did you like ever consider studying birds um birds <laughs> i'm sorry but not so much uh <laughs> i did consider studying reptiles like geckos in particular i actually keep geckos as pets um so i always thought they're really cool with their little sticky pads which aren't really even sticky pads they're just kind of like folded up skin on their toes that let them like adhere to anything and they can climb on up and they're super cute and adorable. Um, life didn't quite go that way. <laughs> Birds are cool in their own right. I did take a uh, dinosaur class last semester and we got to learn a ton about birds and I had no idea how many freaking air sacs they have in their tiny little bodies. <laughs> but birds are like amazing i've you know always been fascinated with birds but as you say i really like reptiles a lot too and that's why i mentioned i got into that herpetology because i'm like we'll see how it goes it was my first lecture yesterday because i started like you know our classes started like two weeks ago now i think um but i was so sad when we started talking about frogs i, I mean i'm not the biggest fan of frogs but i was really looking forward to talking about reptiles and yeah it's kind of disappointing we'll see how where i end up you know who knows? I'm talking so much about fishes. Who knows if I end up, you know, studying fishes one day. We'll see if I join. Come to the fish side. Come to the fish side. <laughs> oh, I was going to mention, I forgot. One of my my best friends, I mentioned every interview ever that people mentioned sharks, that they want to study sharks. My best friend, she's a marine biologist student. She loves sharks. Like, she wants to study sharks right now. And every, every single time I, you know, interview somebody that mentions sharks in any way, I'm like, you know, you have to listen to this interview because I mentioned you because they mentioned sharks. So, Carolina, if you're watching this, I mentioned you again in regards to sharks. Sharks are amazing. <laughs> I'm, okay, do you know why I don't study fish? I don't know if I mentioned this in any other interview. I don't know how to swim. So... That is completely fine. You don't have to be able exactly. to swim. I didn't know that because when I got into my undergrad, I was either between the wildlife management program or the marine biology program. Those are the two that I kind of applied to. I got into both. But, like, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can do marine biology because I can't swim. You know, how am I going to? Because I didn't know how anything worked at the time. You know what I mean? During, like, senior year of high school. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be the only one that can swim in that program. Like, no, like, you know. 
I gotta learn how to swim first. I still don't know how to swim. It's been like two years now. I still avoid water at any cost because water scares me too. Like the ocean, there's so many big things in there. You know what I mean? Like I, I'd rather stay here with my little lizards and like birds than going into the ocean. But now I can see that you can actually like study like ocean creatures without going to the ocean. I've surprisingly met yeah. most of the marine biologists I met don't actually even do like ocean like field work if that makes sense so it's kind of a fun fact i guess so, so if anybody is listening you can do research on fishes all you have to do is find some sort of research collections and there's going to be a bunch of dead ones in jars and all you have to do is stick your hand into a little bit of ethanol and you're fine yeah you don't have to swim <laughs> you know you don't have to Swimming is not required. But you should learn, though. <laughs> Swimming is, you know, it's a good life skill to have. I wish I learned. I don't know. You know, you want to know something real quick? Some fun little story real quick. I never learned how to swim because my mom never let me get in the water because in my second or third birthday, we had a pool party. And at some reason, everybody was like, at some point, everybody was eating and my mom couldn't find me. And suddenly, there here's some, something in the pool. I fell in the pool and I was like, when they ran, I was in the bottom, literally in the bottom of the pool. So somebody had to like jump in there and get me out. My oh, mom no. never let me go in like water that much. I, when I started getting into pools, I was like 10 years old when I got like, and my mom was like, okay, you can only sing in this side of the pool. <laughs> me literally sitting in the stairs of a pool, like at 12 years old. Then she said, okay, you can come here, but that's it, you know, like two feet tall. And, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm a tall guy, I'm six feet tall. So even when I was like 12, I was like above average in height. So I was just playing with the like two-year-olds in the in the two feet area, you know what I mean? <laughs> now I, I could like probably swim out of like a pool if I'm trying like drowning, I can probably figure something out, like paddle my way out like a dog or something, but it scares me and the ocean is so it's like so big so many big things no i'll stay out of there but yeah i didn't like particularly know that you could just like as you said stick your your hand in a jar and pull a dead fish out study it crazy to me so i think this was a very fun interview i learned a lot you know i didn't know there were like those weird fishes with that one like both eyes on one side that's crazy to me i'm actually gonna look it up after this so I, I'm, we're trying to do something new and fun. Um, and the, uh, the last few questions of the episodes are called favorite things. And we're, I'm going to ask you a few things and you're going to be like, what your favorite thing of that is. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite movie? You mentioned your favorite movie. You got to mention the first thing that comes to your mind, though. You can't think about it. You got to, whatever comes to your mind, you got to shoot it out. Okay. What's your favorite color? Blue. Okay, good choice, good choice. I, I agree. What's your favorite TV show? Shit. Um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Deep Space Nine lately. I don't know what that is, but... It's old. <laughs> I'm going to... Oh, um, what's your favorite movie? Uh, I'm just going to go with Rocket Man right now. And the one, the funny one, the comedy Rocket Man. <laughs> um let's see let's see what's your favorite animal and don't say fish i really like cats and i know that's kind of like 
an easy answer, but they have a place in my heart. <laughs> in your house, I, I saw Yeah, a place in my there, heart so. and in my house. <laughs> and in the, in the little tank yeah, too, so. naughty. <laughs> okay, so the last question. What's your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Um, I really like Terry Pratchett, and that's a, an author, and he's written a lot of books. <laughs> but, that was cheating. You mentioned an author, so that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just choose Color of Magic, which is by Terry Pratchett, and it's the very first one that he wrote. <laughs> Yeah, I respect that. So you were trying to cheat on me and say... I was trying to cheat. I have a hard time being like, this is my specific favorite oh, thing. Yeah, I get it. I completely understand. It happens to me too. If you ask me today what my favorite show is, I'm probably going to say something different tomorrow. Like right now, it's Grey's Anatomy because I'm re-watching it for like the 20th time. But maybe tomorrow I'm watching Chilling's Adventure of Sabrina on Netflix. And I can say, okay, Chilling's Adventure of Sabrina is my favorite show. And so I flop around a lot in that regard so it's kind of just a fun game to get to know our, our interviewees and stuff so is there anything you would like to say before we wrap up this interview today um i don't think so if anybody is interested i guess in studying fishes or anything like that and they have any questions they could definitely send me an email or find me on twitter yeah i'll definitely be sure to link your twitter and the description of this episode and it's also going to be on the podcast's twitter it's going to be at lgbtq stemcast it was great to have you i learned a lot about weird fishes so that's always fun i love learning about weird fishes even though i'm team birds so it was great to have you thank you so much for being here and to everybody listening thank you for listening today please be sure to follow corey on the social media that will be listed in the episode description thank you so much